0: Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats, and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Build-A-Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Build-A-Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Build-A-Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build-A-Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Any. True leader has that ability to see people not where they are today, not their current circumstance, but to see who they can be. I've had people that have seen me at low moments and maybe realized the potential that's out there and would challenge me in certain ways. Well, welcome to the deconstruction Construction Podcast. And this is going to be um, probably the most unique episode we've had to date. This is um, our four year anniversary of hosting the podcast. And Uh, You know, a lot of people have had questions over the years, like Brad, why haven't you done one with just you speaking about the company, the podcast, the brand, Um, you know, a list of questions I've gotten over the years I wanted to speak about and, you know, biggest wins, entrepreneurship journey, you know, playing the long game, uh, mentors, um, essentially what has made our brand who we are today, Um, the purpose of the podcast, where it started, and so, being that it's four years, you know we've tried to do something kind of fun each year of the anniversary, and now that we're four years in, here we are, so this one's just gonna be me today, so um, gonna kind of go through a little bit about uh my personal journey, things that have impacted me in my life. I look at legacy, part of the reason I want to do this now is you know I've been blessed my entire life um in in a lot of ways, you know, came from a pretty humble background, you know, my dad was a A blue-collar electrician, you know, worked in the trades his entire life. My mom's a stay-at-home mom. Grew up in San Diego, you know, oldest of six kids. And, you know, pretty simple upbringing but amazing. You know, great, great parents, um, which I'll get into at some point, just the impact my mom and dad have had on me. And, again, you know, fortunately throughout my life, been super healthy. Um, You know, always competed in sports um, throughout high school, you know, junior high. I actually ran cross-country and track in high school. Um, You know, I was fortunate to be a team captain for the cross-country and track teams. Uh, My events, I did mile and two-mile and high-jump and track, and, of course, distance and cross-country. You know, a little late bloomer for me uh, as far as basketball and football and stuff that I started playing a lot more, you know, in college and golf now. Of course, for those that know me, know I love golf, just every part about it, but, you know, throughout – my journey been really fortunate with health and um, had a little bit of a medical scare. Some that are pretty close, not some know the story. And I figured it was just uh, important to share just the context because um, again, this is not like a, <laughs> a goodbye, if you will, uh, the podcast is going to go strong. We have a lot of plans for some rebranding and some stuff we're doing with the podcast and it's going to continue. But uh, the reality is I, I definitely wanted to take an episode to kind of, as I mentioned early on, this is, you know, who I am and what's made me essentially the people around me, the wonderful people that have influenced me throughout my life and father's day weekend. Um, I had a stroke and, um, so it was a Friday, Friday morning, uh, father's day weekend. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that really make you evaluate life, right. Priorities. And, you know, I feel that I've done a pretty good job with, you know, as best as I can priorities, having six kids myself and running the company and, you know, marriage and, and, and life and, you know, all the different, um, things that pull at us. But, uh, Friday morning, pretty normal day for me. I think one thing that's unique, my, my mom's very similar. She sleeps probably five hours a night and, um, I've been the same, you know, I sleep five to six hours a night. It's pretty common. Uh, so it was a pretty normal day for me, you know, went to bed about 1130, uh, midnight, um, you know, alarm went off at 430, about 445, which is a pretty typical day for me um i was sending some emails and catching up just on a few things um got up for the day and fortunately i wasn't driving because we may not be having this conversation now cuz you know having a stroke while on the freeway i was supposed to be driving up north which would have been not uh not very good um but again timing stood up and uh as i was walking to the bathroom you know to start the day uh i remember looking down at my legs cuz instantly i felt as if um I couldn't feel my legs and I'm like, well, did I stand up too fast? But as quick as my brain could sense that, Hey, you can't feel your legs. You know, your legs are numb. I, I fell down, uh, collapsed in the bathroom. Um, full stroke mode at that point. Luckily my wife heard me fall. Um, she woke up, came over, um, saw that I was not responsive again. Uh, having been through a stroke, it's, it's kind of an odd thing. You're, you're fully present. So no pain. Um, I, I was present the entire time. I just had no feeling. Uh, I had no control over my nervous system. So as she's speaking to me. I could hear her. She's calling 911. I could hear the entire conversation. Um, again, pretty terrifying. I know for my wife, probably a little PTSD um, from that episode. But uh, I just remember uh, mentally just trying to stay present, right? Uh You know, she was saying, Brad, stay with me, (laughs) you know, thinking, you know, don't, can't have my husband pass on me, uh, which of course was not the case, but uh, she was giving me water. I was able to drink it. You know, my face a little droopy, but a few minutes after the episode, which it was scary. I I wasn't sure what was happening to, you know, my body is my nervous system shut down and um, had no, no feeling in my lower body, my lower extremities, you know, my, especially my left leg, because it happened on the right side of my brain. And uh was rushed to uh, you know, ambulance came luckily and I think about five, seven minutes after the stroke, they were they were in our bathroom. Um, they kind of pulled me out of of where I was and leaned me against the bathtub and saw that I really didn't have a lot of balance and uh, they checked my blood sugar right away, which they do, and realized that um, you know, there's no diabetic. Um, blood sugar's fine. You know, he's he's having a stroke, and so they got me on the gurney and you know, got me in the ambulance and off to the hospital. Um, on my way there, by this point, you know, I, I could speak, was fully present, had no problem talking. I was kind of joking with the the firemen that were there, you know, that hey, you're probably more of an EMT than you are a fireman because you know, l- less fires are fighting as as opposed to more traffic accidents and you know, strokes like like I was having. Uh, get to the hospital and it's a stroke center, thankfully, so they're prepared for it and. Um, you know, as I'm there in the hospital, and of course my wife, and she had called my brother. My brother Greg came over, and my mom, and um, of course, you know, our kids. Were, we're taking care of my three older girls. Uh, came over to the hospital. My my three younger kids went to the grandparents' house. Um, and uh, fortunately, they they got me in for an MRI pretty quickly to confirm it's a stroke. You know, they did a full hour scan. Uh, by this time, it was probably about 8.30 a.m., and I remember sitting there um, with no, at this point, I'd gotten feeling back, right side of my leg, and pretty much waist up. I, I was fine, you know, I could move my arms, but my left leg from my hip down to my toes was was gone. You know, I, I thought I was probably permanently paralyzed. And I remember speaking to a neurologist, and he's like, you know, Brad, um, you may never walk again, you may have to start over again and and retrain. Um, and I remember just feeling a piece that uh, you know, whatever happened, I, I wasn't really fearful. Um, you know, I was like, well, if I can't walk, um, you know, then that's just gonna be, you know, something I'll deal with. You know, I'll figure it out, I'm I'm alive, I'm here. And and, and I will say part of that mentality again, I, I think part of me is innately positive. Um, I'll share why, just some life experiences that I've had throughout my life that I feel have had a big impact on me as an entrepreneur and just that positive impact. Um, also Dave Clark, who some of you know, I had on, I believe from, um, our two year anniversary, we had Dave on who was my business mentor and, you know, Dave had battled cancer and I'll, I'll speak about some life lessons from Dave here in the episode. But what's interesting with Dave is that, um, he, he dealt with the cancer that was terminal for most people and, Yet he's someone you never saw suffer. He just always smiled. He you never knew that he was dealing with anything. Um, he just had this, this positive vibe, this positive um empowerment and this ambiance around him that he just really lived life to the fullest and he really cared about people. He cared about his legacy. He, you know, he's someone that probably could have wrote off in the sunset. But yeah, he saw me, invested in me, invested in me. And and I'll share that experience here later. But um, you know, so having that example is really important for me to think, you know, positive that, hey, no matter what happens, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of life and a lot of our health, a lot of our recovery is based on outlook more than is circumstance. Um, and, and I remember just thinking that, that I, I wasn't really nervous. I knew it would be okay. I knew I'd figure it out. I'd find a way. You know, I, I consider myself a fighter. I, when the neurologist said, you may not walk again, I just remember thinking in my mind, I'm going to put this as fast I can. I'm the fastest person to get through this. Um, it's just kind of my makeup, you know, figure out a way to do that and uh shortly thereafter um they were doing some testing and and i could feel my toes i was able to wiggle my toes so that was a good sign and about 30 minutes later i was able to lift my leg um and so the stroke happened at 5 a.m again by 9 a.m i was able to to move about 10 a.m i was able to stand up you know and walk through the hallways and by noon i was fully functional so really blessed i know that's not always the case uh and, and fortunately for me, you know, went through all the testing, was out of the hospital on Saturday, um, went back. Uh, I was released Saturday, went back home Sunday, and and was back at work uh, on Monday. Again, cleared by the doctor. I wasn't trying to overdo it. Um, but I think part of this is I have something that's called the PFO, which is essentially an opening. So everyone, uh, when they're born, has an opening in their heart. Um when you're in the mother's womb, that's how you get oxygen, and so that that when you're born, it closes. Well, 80% of people closes, 20% doesn't. I didn't know that. I've never been healthy my whole life, as I mentioned. I've never really, you know, been a cardiologist. I mean, until till now this is the only time I've dealt with a cardiologist or, you know, done an echo or a TE scan on my heart, and and to realize I have a PFO. So for anyone listening, I recommend go speak to a cardiologist. I've since then met a lot of people who had PFO, had the PFO closure, which is what I'll be getting um, and the September, uh, early October-ish, uh, still finalizing that date, but it's a pretty easy surgery. Um, it's really not, I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's not very invasive at all, but anyways, I'd recommend get that checked because people with a PFO have a high, uh, risk of stroke, which I did not know because it's not a hereditary thing in my family. So get that checked out. I think that's the, the big thing for us is health, right? How we manage health and stress and balance life and all those things. And, uh, cardiologist, you know, it's important. Since then, I've done a bunch of testing. You know, I, cholesterol levels were good, even at the time. I think I was a 135. Um, just being open, um, heart rate was good. You know, again, I'm still super active, and and it was cleared. The doctors cleared me for travel, for airplane, for for sports, and uh, in fact, all of them wanted me to continue to do that. They saw stay active. You know, that's part of the the reason you recovered is you're really healthy. And so, you know, diet something I watch a little bit more and, you know, take a baby aspirin every day. But other than that, I'm not like on a blood thinner, just a baby aspirin. So a uh, little TMI for those listening, but I think it's relevant just as we get into this. Um, so fortunate, healthy now, you know, most of you who see me may not know notice anything's happening, but um, have a great support team, amazing team at AFT incredible people that work for us that believe in the brand and the company and have done so much. And for that reason, um, you know, we didn't miss a beat. That's a big part of who we are and what we've been able to establish with such such great people that work here. Um, again, my wife, who who was super responsive and um, so grateful for her and everything she does for our family and home and, you know, all the work she puts in um, with her own business too, just to allow the growth we've had at AFT and, you know, a lot of commitments I have from, you know, the podcast and networking and, you know, our builder 20 and other things that that consume time. And, you know, it wouldn't be able to do it without, you know, my better half I had an experience. There's a mentor of mine, um, early on. And I think this is a big part of when I'm looking at hiring people and the people that we have, um, a couple of lessons is his name was Doug Steinle and Doug, um, very successful business owner from Los Angeles and Southern California and in fact built many companies uh, one of which was California pools and spas that some people know the Arizona division has different management that he sold that off but um, essentially I remember him early on that he uh, he mentioned that as a business owner as a mentor as just a father as a human right on this earth that everything's better because you were involved and you think about that, that imagine if all of us as, as people that live here on this earth, if we had the mentality that everyone that we associate is better because they've associated with us. Every place that we've been is better because we were there. And I think the easy application is he he had mentioned, he had said that, which which stood out to me. I remember that having an impact him, you know, from a leadership perspective. And in between the conference when he was speaking about that, Uh, I remember going into the restroom, like all of us, you know, bathroom break in between, uh, you know, the little break there between the conference. And it's a public bathroom. You know, everyone's washing their hands afterwards, you know, soap, ground paper towels. And, of course, you know, anytime you're washing your hands, and especially in a big group setting, you know, a lot of water spilling all over the sink and, um, you know, can turn into hard spots and stains and whatnot. And uh, what's interesting, I watched him and as he he washed his hands, um, he grabbed some paper towels and he started wiping the sink. And there was some overspray some water on the mirror, and he cleaned that off. And so there he is cleaning up that around and there's a paper, a couple of paper towels and missed a trash bin that were on the floor. And he picked those up and that had an impact that even something that small, right? To to be cognizant, to say, you know, I'm gonna wipe down the counter and pick up some trash on the floor. Just I think that's just a mentality that all of us, you know, if and and I've tried to associate that. I've never been perfect by any means, but you know I do hope that in anywhere I go, or anyone I've networked with or communicated with, or um, you know ideally in a, in some way they're they're better, right? Um, it, it's a big mantle, but I think there's some priority there. And um, something else that he was really big on is that he he had a unique talent to see people um, not as they are, but who they could become. And I think any true leader um, has that ability to see people not where they are today, not their current circumstance, but to see who they can be. And and fortunately, I've had people that have seen me at low moments and maybe realized the potential that's out there and would challenge me in certain ways. Uh, You know, I do that to my team. I think sometimes it's easy to give up. On certain personnel and team members without realizing uh, is it them? Are they, are they just a factor of the environment we're putting them in? Are they a factor of the environment based on our lack of organization as leaders, as company owners? Uh, do they have the right tools? Do they have the right training? Do they have the right processes and systems? Um, you know, these are things that I think a lot of us fail as business owners. And and the reality is, as we as we can see, who our children or our employees or trade partners and suppliers, so many what what's the potential? Are we helping them get to that level? Right? Are they better because we're interacting with them? Are they? Um, th- there's something. That, there's a lot of truth to um, building people up. I remember as a kid, uh, my mom, you know, she she would play board games and these like memory games with me as a kid. And she'd always say, oh, like you're smart. So I remember being as a kid, you're hearing these positive things. And it just, you end up becoming that because someone's believing in you and, you know, leading to the next level. So just, just a little food for thought there, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, there's a lot of ups and downs, uh, you know, especially building a company uh, and, and a lot of people have asked. Well, at, as an entrepreneur, you know, it change, changes by the mood. It's you know, 4 p.m. could be super happy. By 4:30, super down. It could be having the greatest day, and then you get a phone call, and everything kind of goes upside down. You think things are working out, and then then the problems come up that most of us are dealing with. And so, some of the value adds the positivity I mentioned. Uh, just a, um, you know, information in, information out. A lot of people will ask me how you balance certain things and I'll get into the consistency. But a big thing for me is information in and out that I don't let things, uh, linger. You know, when there's issues, there's problems, you address them head on right away. Uh, you know, if I'm busy or tied up and, you know, get a message, I try to be really responsive and let them know I'll follow up. I'll get back to you. And I do, you know, I have a method of how I track things. And so I think that's, you know, the responsiveness, those those are really good habits. Uh, good, good business owners, good people that are responsive, they're organized, they're positive, they understand how to process information, they understand how to delegate information. Um, th- there's nothing more frustrating to me as a business owner than working with uh, people that don't respond. That's it, just respond. If you're busy or busy, just like, let me know that my message isn't just going into thin air and disappearing. At least there's someone on their side that's saying, hey, I may not have an answer, but I'm working on it. You know, I'll get back with you. And what's really important for me is that even if I don't have the answer, I'll follow up with, you know, the client or the trade or the employee and say, Hey, just, you know, I'm still working on this. It's top of my mind. I'll get you an answer. Uh, so that follow through is really important, you know, th- to be successful as a business owner. A lot of people will say, well, what, you know, with social media, with, um, marketing, with your business, with, um, you know is there a secret to success right the easiest thing that i can tell people is consistency uh, you think about just that regular consistency and it could be something as simple as exercise if you want to be fit well it's not going to happen in four weeks maybe not happen in 12 but it's years right you see people it's years of exercising feeling like you don't want to go to the gym and then you still go, even when you don't want to go. And maybe you're not motivated or you're tired or you're exhausted, but you go in and maybe lift some light weights. And I know Arnold Schwarzenegger has been big on this. He's like, the biggest thing is be there, right? Be where you need to be. And when he was training, he said there's days he didn't want to train, but he would go into the gym and he would lift you know, lighter weights to get in the mood and get going. And then eventually his adrenaline would kick in and he'd start you know, lifting heavier. But with social media, I think that's really important. It's easy to get burnt out. It's easy to get burnt out on marketing on for me, I look at, you know, we've been YouTube. We haven't had any overnight success. We, you know, the podcasts I've done every week, I think, you know, four years now, we haven't missed a week. And despite, um, personal things that have come up, you know, my father passing away, my business partner passing away, the stroke I had, um, you know, the day-to-day life things will come up and it's that preparation, right? It's a consistency it's having, um, you know, the the preparation to have guests booked and have them on and do this every week for years been a big commitment for four years you know it's two two hundred and eighth episode that we're releasing and to me there's there's value there because you know in in life I hope that I've always been consistent right on how I treat people and try to better myself and other people and that's a big part big part of it, it you know social media you know there's no success I, I it, it'd be nice if we could figure out the algorithm and you know the easy the shortcut to um, to instant growth and it's just not out there that that's just life in general it's, it's a it's a slow game but it's consistent it's you know I know that you know posts I do today may not have an impact for years down the road there may be someone that sees it that will hire us years down the road so it's that long game playing the long game but it's the consistency every day you know have your routine and go through that and make sure you hit that and and don't miss a beat um, one of the other mentors I had, so when I first graduated college, uh, one of the benefits I had was working, um, doing semi-custom, semi-production homes. And in fact, Adam Cade, who works for me, he was our boss out of college, which is kind of fun. But when I was um, there on the subdivision, there, we had sales reps that would sell the the homes and then we as superintendents would build them. And Martin Ono, who was one of the uh, salesmen, he was one of the salesmen there at the subdivision we're at. Uh, one of the most generous people I knew. He, um, a lot of people for whatever reason, you know, look down on contractors and it's not everyone, but some do, especially some salespeople, you know, and there were some people in the organization that figured they could hire any superintendent. They didn't realize, you know, the difficulty of the jobs that we do, but he was always so gracious. I remember that, you know, it, we'd have meetings with the sales team and go through the projects and every Wednesday, he'd bring the best breakfast. Like he would just take care of us. He would you know, take us out to eat at, at the hangar cafe, which is at Chandler airport, which is always fun. But I remember he would always say, I remember on our birthdays. And again, I was, you know, just out of college, poor kid. I remember on my birthday, he walks up, he's like, it's your birthday. And he shakes my hand and hands me a hundred dollar bill. And and at the time he said, Brad, never forget that uh, generosity precedes prosperity. And again, you know, the, the the backstory there is when I first met Martin uh I was at a sales meeting, he walks out to me and he's like, Brad, how's it feel to be the son of a twin? And I'm like, Who are you? How do you know who I am? You know, I grew up in San Diego here. I'm in Phoenix. How you you know, how did you know that my dad's a twin brother? And funnily enough, you know, he grew up, you know, blue collar just like I did back in Lemon Grove, La Mesa area of San Diego. And uh so so he he actually grew up, he was a little younger than my parents, but um, he knew my dad because his older brothers hung out with my dad growing up, which is kind of a small world that we both end up in Phoenix. But it's always had an impact on me because if anything, uh, y- you know, I'd, I'd always hope that I'm, I'm more generous in um, and, and, and all things, right, in, in time and effort, uh, how, how we take care of our employees. I think that's been one of the little secrets there for, for our retention is I've always tried to find a way where we can compensate our team higher than industry norm. Um, you know, I care about them and care about their livelihoods and it's really important. I mean, I, and I think that's always true that there's something about, uh, trying to do the right thing. And, you know, that generosity precedes prosperity. And I greatly believe that it, whether we're, we're serving in our communities and given time, um, donating to, you know, local charities and finding different ways to help, you know, uh, those in need, cause there's a lot of people that stand in need right now, uh, opportunity cost you know something i really didn't understand so when i was in high school again as i mentioned i grew up uh my dad's blue collar so you know we we didn't live in an area where you know my dad and family was in a position where they could call some when our roof had to be redone we weren't calling um a roofing company you know my dad's out there after work up on the roof you know putting on new asphalt shingles on the roof, you know, pouring concrete in the backyard for us kids to play basketball in the backyard. Um, you know, all these little, that's what you do. You wake up Saturday, you come home after hours and you'd work, you'd be working all day and then come home and work some more. And, uh, I remember there was, uh, one of my coworkers when I was working as an electrician, Joe. And I remember thinking at the time, cause that's how I grew up that, um, yeah, anytime that you can perform the work yourself, you're going to be saving money. So just do it yourself. You know, you're running the company. Well, yeah, if I don't have to hire any help and I won't call up some of my professional associates, but I know some other GCs and I know some other design firms and architecture firms that won't hire help. And yes, on their bottom line, you know, for them, it may look great, but, you know, their, their performance or lack thereof affects many of us. And where I'm getting at the opportunity costs is that, yes, there's a stage in life where a lot of us, may not be in a financial position to go hire a roofer and we have to be out there putting on the new roof ourselves, but there's an opportunity cost. There there comes a time in life where you realize that, hey, if I'm focused on my business and I'm focused on this aspect of my business, it's better served time and investment-wise for me to focus here and hire someone to do this, you know, this element of the company, this scope of work and self perform. And so, by subbing that out, one, now you're servicing that that aspect, and number two, I can focus on things that could be become more profitable, or more efficient, or better systems over time. And I remember learning that lesson. It didn't really make sense until now. I feel now in my 40s, uh, just being transparent, at 42. 42. Um, I feel I understand that a lot more, and especially as I look about at who we hire with AFT, and not just the experience, but the cultural you know, importance coming into the company and the job roles that they perform, You know the, the value in that investment, the opportunity cost to invest in them, to not only give them opportunity for them and their family and their career, but also how that opportunity cost now opens up where there's other avenues that can be open. And it's a fine line, but there is value to that opportunity cost. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there. So you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. You know, I mentioned Dave Clark, and, and the positivity he had, you know, just a, pic, a, a quick background for AFT. I think this is really relevant to the conversation. Uh, but after the recession, so many of you that have been listening know that I worked at the Omni Mono Lucia, And the Mono Lucia was this amazing $350 million hotel and spa. And we finished it roughly 2009. You know, most of us know the, the housing crash was 2008, 2009. And it was a really tough market here in Phoenix. In fact, it was so tough and so slim that, um, I, I actually was looking at leaving construction. So I was taking the GMAT, I was going, you know, I was taking the, some prep courses for the GMAT, took the GMAT, I was applying to grad school, was fortunate to, to get accepted to grad school. And, um, but, but before grad school happened, I'm going to rewind just a little bit. So 2010, Dave Clark came in and he purchased this project called the Chateau on Central. Now these were brownstones, there were 21 brownstones and they were partially finished. So the investor had started this project near downtown Phoenix recession hit lost the property. Um, and it sat vacant for a few years. I, I believe this one actually sat vacant since 2007 ish. So 2010 they purchased it from the bank. You know, there was fencing around, there was some inventory on site. There was uh, a couple of visitors that were living there on site. Um, that had snuck in and and made home there. Uh, But essentially, property had been completed. So Dave had come down and he was interviewing general contractors. And as he's interviewing these general contractors, we were one of the three that he was interviewing. And it was a a gentleman in, in our company, so Spencer, who works for me now at AFT, Spencer, myself, and Cameron, who Cameron went to grad school and actually got, he works for Adobe in the real estate division, Adobe PDF. But Cameron Spencer and I spent a lot of hours, and we knew the writing was on the wall. In fact, we were informed by our employer that if we did not win this project, uh, we were going to be terminated uh, of our role for the company that we're at. So uh, essentially, I remember this was probably April and being really scared that, hey, if we don't get this job, my career is over. Essentially, I don't don't have a job to go to. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. You know, at this time, I had three daughters that were pretty young and being young, young father. So it was pretty nerve wracking. And fortunately we spent a lot of time, you know, we were, I remember the week of the bid, we were in the conference room putting together numbers, negotiating with subcontractors and suppliers, just trying to be as competitive as possible because it was such a competitive bid and everyone needed this project. There weren't a lot at the time. And so it was really, um, sharpened pencil. And we'd be in the conference room until two, 3am drive home, back at 6 a.m just a couple hours of sleep and fortunately we won the project and and through that project that next year became really good friends with dave and rudy wrote who was his director you know his business operations and they and they were out of wisconsin and we built a really unique friendship with with dave and rudy at the time and uh his wife kirsten and i remember asking dave why he selected us and he said you know we had some really good GCs bidding it, but we just really liked how competitive you guys were. Every time we show up at Chateau, you three were there. You know, you were taking inventory, walking every unit, seeing exactly what face. So we we just knew you you put in the work and um and so that friendship was built. And after that is when I'm like, well, I don't know how long this project's going to go. So that's when I took the GMAT and was looking at changing careers. And um you know, I did a YouTube video on this a long time ago, but. 2011 was a really hard year for me personally, 2011. Um, we we were at the Chateau. I was accepted to grad school. Um, and uh, a, a close friend of mine knew that I was going to be going to school out of state. And so he said, Brad, let's, let's go on a fishing trip to Alaska and uh, kind of a last rendezvous since you may not end up back in Arizona after you get your MBA. And uh, while I was there, um, you know, my, my father called me and, and let me know that this, I found out, he said, um, uh, you know, my, my ex-wife at the time had sat down with them and, and let them know that she didn't want to be married to me anymore. And so, you know, had been through a couple of tough experiences to this point in life. 2011 realized, Hey, grad school's about two weeks away. And, and, um, Going through divorce and and with three young daughters, I think my daughters were seven, five, and and two at the time, and um, so I never made it to grad school. Never got my MBA. And uh, I was actually in a hotel room, so I, I was kind of lost in 2011. Being, you know, I trained my replacement at the company I was working at. So when we were awarded the Chateau with Dave. Uh, they hired a new employee because I was leaving the state. I was going to grad school, and, and the company did not have enough work to bring me back since they had hired someone. So I was out of a job. Grad school was not an option and I uh, was unemployed, and there really wasn't anyone hiring for construction. And so my plan with grad school was to go off and, and get into healthcare in the medical field. I had a friend, Dan Lemon, that was going to um, help me get a, a an opportunity in, in general General Electric in their healthcare division, which is where he had worked. And um, I fortunately, you know, they, although mostly they had hired MBAs, they, they were giving me a chance to um, see if I could essentially work my way up, you know, and so they flew me out. GE flew me out to their headquarters in Milwaukee. And I remember I was in my hotel room in Milwaukee the night before the interview, I'd just flown in getting ready for my interviews the next day and Dave Clark had found out somehow that I was going through divorce. And he called me and he said, hey, Brad, don't take the job. It'd be a mistake. <laughs> those are his exact words. He said, you know, and this goes back to earlier in the conversation where he mentioned, hey, I, you know, I'm in Wisconsin. I have the Chateau. You're familiar with it. I have some other um, projects down there. I'd like you to run those. You could be here. I understand you're going through divorce. You can stay in Phoenix. Your daughters can be there, stay in the same school. And it was really, I, I can't express the level of gratitude at the time and what that meant to me at the, at the lowest point, probably that I can remember in my life in 2011, um, just feeling like I'd lost everything from work and family to now having, you know, an, an, a, a door opened, you know, for me to kick down. And uh, sure enough, fast forward, you know, the time passed and started AFT, uh, got my license and, you know, partnered with Dave and he helped get our firm started and and here we are today you know 11 years later and very blessed and you know shortly thereafter a, the mutual friend who was actually in alaska with me um knew an amazing girl and set us up and so those of you that met ashley uh we were set up and 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 were married and have had three kids and so i had three and three you know she has three step kids and our three and you know i have six um and we've been really fortunate, but but a few things I learned from Dave, by just shadowing him, especially those first few years. You know, Dave had to make some tough decisions, like anyone. 2011, 12, 13, 14 were tough years. You know, Phoenix really didn't see uh, any bet. You know, the the market really didn't turn until 2015, 16, 17. Uh, here in Arizona, for for most of us, at least. And something I learned is that, you know, in my past, I don't want to say I was a hothead, but, you know, I think a lot of us can show the emotions on our sleeve. Uh, Dave was really big on, you know, keep the ace, ace in the hole, you know, don't show all your cards, you know, but more importantly, it wasn't just from a negotiation or negotiate, you know, not to just negotiate, not that standpoint. It was more relationship side. And I saw where he had to terminate an employee and I remember thinking in every right, this employee was not performing, had done some unethical things. And I think most of us would have been pretty stern. Um, and to see Dave, you know, that he would, the way he had hard conversations, you know, he would never open up with these hard conversations. He would always build them up and, and show a lot of love and compassion. Um, I thought that was really unique to see a business owner with that tact, right, with that candor as he as he communicated with people and he was really big on he never burned bridges ever even if it's someone who's who's essentially burned you he always saw the good in people very similar to Doug Stamley where i mentioned that you not see people as they are but who they could be who they could become and i think dave saw that in me right um to some extent even when i was a little battered there in 2011 believed in me and uh i'm grateful for that because if it wasn't for dave uh, i would not be sitting here on 4 year anniversary of the podcast and um, AFT would not be a brand and with the amazing people we have here. And it's because of what he saw and and just his ability, you know, to um, to really value people that he always looked at building, building people, building companies, building brands. He loved business. He loved the pursuits. He loved uh, seeing people benefit. He loved seeing people um, see their families benefit, right, from their employment. And he was really big that, you know, a lot of us think about payroll and the cost and you know that, that nut to crack if you will as being a business owner and he was so big that you know that, that employees are assets on the balance sheet and the value they bring to us. And so he was always looking at the value. And something he would always say is, Brad, what's the cost to replace? You know, and so many times as business owners, we get lost in um, we have to remember what it's like as an employee. I remember as an employee working hard, not being compensated, end of year, bonus, raise, whatever it may be, those little things meant so much to me. And they just didn't happen. And so many of us have had employees where we we forget to speak or address or make them accountable and then have incentives. And then the time's too late, they go find another position, another job, someone's going to pay them more and they're gone. And at that point, only then the employer's looking at the employee saying, well, can I match the pay? Can I increase your pay? Well, where was that six months ago before they had another job offer, right? And and Dave was big on that, that always, you know, what's the cost of replace? If I lose someone that's super talented, I'm going to pay so much more in training and onboarding. Why not keep the talent I have? Yes, we understand that there, there are levels and there are benefit packages and there's cost to every company with an employee. But... So many of us, are we worried about the bottom line or our finances, or are we looking at, you know, the health and the people that we have in the company? And, and it's that value of retaining those people and every job getting better every day, understand the systems better every day as they implement these strategies, how much more value do they bring with that experience? And, we, you know, part of, of the legacy that Dave Lave left with me was just the legacy of of really caring about people, and their employees, and and we had for those of you that have heard me advertise on the Contractor Coalition Summit, you know when you think about legacy, a big thing is uh, again I've been fortunate to be surrounded with incredible business owners. A lot of people have said, "Hey, Brad, why did you start the podcast?" Well, um, when I started it, you know I didn't really have a plan. You know, of course, you don't know how to. Um, build it and get the audio right and all the things you're going to build on podcast. But one thing I did know is that I was surrounded by incredible people throughout my life. I've met interesting people. Um, I've met uh, incredible clients, right? Who are super successful and have a ton of information. So part of the reason I want to start the podcast was not just a legacy thing, but I, I've known interesting people. I want to have interesting conversation. My, my goal was always to that that people listening would gain value, one thing I was not a fan of is at the time when I started mine four years ago, there were a lot of podcasts out there that were, you know, pretty, ge- pretty generic. And again, I'm not trying to disparage anyone else. Uh, I hope that you can un- understand the sincerity here. But when I would listen and consume as a consumer, you know, I would listen to an episode about someone's story. Uh, but I really wanted nuggets. Like what is, what is it that made them them? you know, what is it that they are doing specifically in marketing or social media or leadership or company culture that I can apply? And so the goal for those of you to listen, you know, right away, I try to always start off right away with that question. It's not like, Hey, give us an in- introduction of who you are. Um, not that that's not relevant or important because in some episodes I'll do that later, but ideally I, the whole goal was that that legacy that the guests come on and they leave three or four or five points that people can apply to their life and for me i've had so many guests that have left important information you know informative ideas and messages and braining ideas that i've implemented you know as a company and so you know when when i started the contractor coalition summit it was just an arm of some of the podcasts is not only from what i've been you know fortunate to be around some great business owners and entrepreneurs but You know, there's a lot of mistakes I made as a business owner, as a contractor, and I wish that I could share all of those with other contractors so that they wouldn't make the same mistake as long, you know, building a business, the mistakes I've made. And I remember being asked at our last one that we had in Scottsdale, and I was asked, I said, Brad, why do you do do what you do? And to be honest, like, I've, just a little bit about me from my upbringing, you know, um, I'm just... You know, the easiest way to say it you know, is I'm a family guy. I love my kids. I love my wife. Um, I I love my employees. I I care so much about them. You know, probably the most stress I have as a business owner are my people, making sure that we have the pipeline and the backlog and the work for them to stay busy and support their families. I care about their families. You know, I've had, as you know, like Paul Ungren's moved here from out of state. I've had Ben Tarwater move from Kansas City. you know, I've had people move from parts of the country. Megan came from California and I really care that they're landing here and that they have a career and opportunity and to support their family and they have some stability. And, and I really care about our people. There's, there's a lot of material things in this world that uh, don't matter to me. And, um, and, and again, this isn't about some uh, high horse or, or being better anyone because I don't, uh, you know, judge or compare myself that way. I just know me personally. I find a lot of joy in the success of my people. And I think they see that. I think they know that. They know that from being around me that, that I really care. And and that brings me more value. And and I saw that through Dave, that he was the same, you know, having been around him for so long. And so when people say, Brad, what's your legacy? What does that mean to you? I think that's it. That, you know, even with this four year episode, I, I would hope that Anyone that's listened to the podcast could, could, could leave and say, you know what, there's a lot of value that I have, life lessons that I've applied in my life and business from the podcast. You know, people that come to the summit, my goal was that, you know, in the first 30 minutes, I'll say, I got my money's worth and that. That was the goal, right? Uh, I think anyone that worked at AFT could, could say that this was the happiest time in their career. You know, that's my legacy is that they could say it's the it's the most enjoyment they've ever had, because the reality is construction's hard. You know, clients are hard, uh, deadlines are hard, budgets are tough, uh, suppliers, labor, all the things we deal with. But if you can create that that bubble, that mindset where they come in and there is a family, that there's the camaraderie and there's the happiness and, and, and the joy that we have as a team. I think there's a lot of value where people can say, Hey, that, that time in my life was, was the happiest of my career. And to me, that's, that's my legacy is, um, and, and more importantly is, you know, that customer experience, something we've really tried really hard 11 years is I can assure you that clients I had seven years ago, some of which probably didn't have a great experience, maybe some four years ago, um, probably some designers, and architects that work with us could say that they didn't have a great experience. And it's unfortunate. I think it's real. And, but one thing I, I can tell you and I could tell any of them is that we're much better today than we were 11 years ago. And we have the right people and the right systems and we spend a lot of time and, you know, one thing legacy wise, I can tell you that tomorrow will be better than I was today. And, and I know as a brand and as a company, we can say the same thing that that's something that's really important to us. Um, when you think about the biggest life lesson, you know, it's funny, there's a TikTok. Someone uh a friend of mine said, Well, Brad, what's the biggest life lesson you've earned? And um the TikTok was interesting. He said, you know, doing hard things will give you an easy life. Doing easy things, you'll have a hard life. And there's a lot of validity to that statement in the sense that um for me, I look at this and you know, personally, as it applies, it's it's not easy, right? To be on, uh, to do the summit and stand in front of people for three days and instruct, right? It's not easy to public speak. It's not easy um, to book guests and run the podcast, especially. You know, I have my team that's producing it, but but as far as you know, asking the questions, preparing, doing research on the guest, uh, being out there on social media, um, you know, there's a lot of things that that I know are hard. For me, they're hard for a lot of people, but but it definitely opens doors, right? And uh, but but taking the easy road doesn't always work that way. Um, Michael Gutelli, who's we we were at the summit and he said, Brad, you're a pretty optimistic, positive person. Why is that? And of course, in the car ride, I didn't have much time to speak about that. And I mentioned a little bit today, but um, one experience going back uh for those that know I, I I served a mission, which means when uh for me, you know, I saved money working. I, I was an electrician in high school, I saved money to pay my way and, and I went and served two years in Argentina where I learned Spanish when uh after high school when I was 19 before going to college. And uh the reason I bring it up is because I feel like this really set the tone for my life and career in a lot of ways and especially with the positivity is um, you know, I didn't know Spanish. I I took Spanish in high school. I didn't learn anything. Um, I really out of all my classes did not pay the attention I should have to Spanish. And so being called Spanish speaking, uh, part of that is I I went to uh, a training center called the MTC, which is the missionary training center. And, and you're, you learn the language. And so for roughly nine weeks, I was learning Spanish, you know, sitting in a classroom and learning for nine weeks. Uh, but at this time in nineteen ninety-nine, which is when I left, uh, there was an issue getting visas. You know, two-year visas to Argentina were really difficult. And it was time essentially after my 90 weeks is up that I was supposed to take my plane ticket, flight to Argentina to Mendoza, Argentina, and 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 begin. And I didn't get my um my my visa. And so I remember sitting in a room and they said, We're gonna reassign you. And we're going to assign you to wherever, you know, you go. Everyone's going to a different place. I went to Louisville, Kentucky, and I was actually, so that was the area of the country. And I was, the area that I was assigned was Jasper, Indiana, which is about 30 minutes from French Lake where Larry Bird grew up. And so I was in Southern Indiana and uh, it, it was English speaking. So all the Spanish I had for nine weeks, since I lost, I was there in Indiana for two months. And they told me that they said, if you hit three months, that'll be your new mission. You're not going to make it to Argentina. So there was kind of a clock ticking. But bottom line, where I'm going with the story is that uh, end of February, I, uh, my visa was approved just a couple weeks before that deadline. And so I hopped on a plane the next day and flew to Argentina by myself. And what was really hard is there was about a two and a half month gap from my Spanish classes. And so by the time I got to Argentina, Um, I didn't know what I was doing. It was really hard to get through the airport, seeing anything in Spanish and not being able to read Spanish. And a few of my peers had gone to like New York and Las Vegas and California, Spanish speaking. And so their Spanish was pretty good. And I just felt pretty defeated that, you know, I, I was, I didn't get that head start, I didn't get to continue forward and I was set back. You know, I didn't think I'd catch up and I was probably in Argentina for about a month and a half and really struggling, you know, wasn't learning language. It's really tough being in a foreign country, um, your brain hurts right where you're hearing Spanish all day and you can't really understand and you're just you know see see you know just don't don't know uh what anyone's telling it you just kind of smile and wave and uh I remember we had you have a mission president and that was Doug Stimely and uh I went in to see him I said I need to meet with him and so I went into him and I remember sitting across from him and I was complaining you know a young 19 year old kid I was super homesick at the time being in a foreign country and different culture and food and you know didn't understand language and it was, it was a really hard time i remember being really lonely really homesick it was it was a it, it was a really struggle it was a big struggle for me and i remember sitting there and uh um you know complaining like a 19 year old would about being homesick and i'll never learn the language and i remember he just listened he didn't say anything he just sat there and he listened and then he leaned back in his chair and he just said um He said, Brad, if I was your dad, what would I tell you? And um, I apologize. Uh, You know, I'll speak about um, some impacts my dad had on me. You know, he passed away young at 64. But, um, you know, when he asked that question, if I was your dad, what would I say? Um, I remember looking at him and saying, I kind of smiled and I said, well, that's it. Time to get to work. And I left and I never looked back. Um, the reason I bring that up is because uh, I knew at that time in my life, at 19, I I knew that if hey, if I could get through um, living out of the U.S., living out of the country, learning a language, and figure this out, just figure this out. I'm not sure how, but I figured out that I knew there's nothing in life that could uh, set me aside. And I and I knew at that time that this kind of breaking point. That I knew if I gave up, you know, I really didn't want to, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. If I had given up, you know, that would have set the tone too, going back to the easy things. You know, you do an easy thing, live a hard life. I would have lived a really hard life, given up at 19 years old, and uh, really set the tone uh, for dealing with hard things now. And fast forward, I I, I spoke earlier about 2011. And again, for personal reasons, I won't share every detail and feeling at that time. uh, But from a self-esteem standpoint, uh, I don't think I've ever been as low as 2011 you know, uh, be, being divorced and single dad and, and unemployed. Um, but at the same time, again, setting the tone, right. I I felt that was rock bottom in 2000, when I was 19. And so 2011, get through that, you know, and there's been, you know, have the stroke, get through that. I think in life, it's these little stepping stones that, you know, you conquer it and you get a little bit stronger and you conquer just like going to the gym, right. It's that, it's that consistency and progress and, and that's why I look at life now, that it is positive. You know, I've, I've, I've had some pretty rough things, you know, challenges in my life, like all of us have. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, it, it comes to pass. I always tell people that, uh, you know, any challenge, you know, I look at some of the tough jobs we've had, tough clients, tough projects. you are scared, um, may not be going as they should, mistakes we made, um, expectations maybe we didn't set. And at the reality, you know, as I look back at my career, even 11 years as an entrepreneur, it does, it comes to pass. Like it always passes. Like it's just an opportunity to, you know, it's just that mindset that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to attack the day and I'm going to follow that consistency I was mentioning. And then we're going to find a way around that. And just an insight to my dad uh, that I think is relevant to that experience. And somehow Doug Stalman knew the question asked me, because that's all he asked me. If I was your dad, what would I tell you? And, I just uh, stood up, shook his hand and walked out, right? And got back to work and quit complaining. Um, you know, my dad wasn't a complainer. Um, you know, he, he died of cancer. And you know, I shared that on social media. So I was at the builder show. This is um last year, twenty twenty two in February. And uh it was just two months before that. Um my dad just, he, he, he retired early at 59 as a union electrician. My mom was in the school district when my baby sister went into kindergarten. So she had 20 years there before they moved. So they retired early at 59 because I moved to Arizona and I had my five siblings here. So there are six of us here now. And they retired of driving out San Diego. So they're like, we might as well live in Arizona near our kids and grandkids. And, um, you know, I, I had a couple areas of my house where I just didn't have the time Um to put some pavers in, you know, there's some muddy areas and especially getting the trash bins from the side yard, you know, truth be told, we're actually, um, haven't built our own custom home yet. And so in the home we're at, uh, for, for sake of time, and my trades are busy, it's not like, I can pull more to my house. So my dad's like, Hey, why don't we, you know, put some pavers in? Like he was just, he lived his entire life serving. Like, I don't think my parents ever bought a new couch. Um, they just, uh, just didn't matter to them. They just, they just served their whole life to neighbors, friends. I mean, I grown up as a kid through high school, I mentioned my dad was always working around the house and doing stuff for us, us kids, but it wasn't just us. There were people in our neighborhood in our church. Um, and my dad was just, he was always serving. He was always doing something for somebody else. Um, you know, he sacrificed a lot. Um, But I remember my wife calling me because on the side yard, so to put this in perspective, uh, our house is like a U, like most houses. And by U, you know, have like a little courtyard coming in from the driveway. Then, you know, you have – walk into the great room to the right's, you know, bedrooms, left is bedrooms. And so on the far left of the house, there's no – it's a masonry wall, so there's not like a fence. So to get to the far left side or the west side of the house Mm – you have to come from the driveway, come up the east side of the house, walk all the way around through the backyard, come all the way around to the left side of the house. So you're essentially walking the entire footprint of the house. And it was dirt back there, so my dad wanted to put pavers. And so with my work schedule, it was December, you know, end of year, so I'm working really late hours, not at home. And my dad, all, he came for two days. And I remember my wife actually calling me, and she's like, your dad has probably taken you know, 50 wheelbarrows of dirt back that he's, you know, essentially over-excavated himself by hand and then taken 50 wheelbarrows of sand to set pavers. And so for two days, my dad, my wife just sees my dad taking a wheelbarrow all by himself, you know, six years old, just doing this as, as a token of love for his son, right. And grandkids. And, um, you know, unfortunately passed away two months later. Um, But he did the same thing for my siblings. That's just who he was. And so um, when you think about legacy, um, there's definitely a big part of that, right? Um, The influence my dad had on a lot of people in San Diego before he moved. And he was only in Arizona uh, roughly four years, four and a half years before he passed away. And in those four years, uh, he met a tremendous amount of people, made impact on the people of queen Creek where he lived here. Uh, and, and so that's why I haven't grown up seeing, you know, my dad work. that I think in life with business or, um, you know, going back to the easy thing is that life is tough. It's just hard. It's hard for all of us. Um, family dynamics can be tough, you know, business is tough. Relationships are tough. Um, Cost of living, inflation—you know there's a lot of challenges that we all deal with, and um, you know watching my dad attack those things and always be a steady hand—that he never, very similar to the Dave—they they just would not overreact. They wouldn't be emotional. Just really, really good people, and um, you know learning from them that as a business owner, it's really important that we surround ourselves with good people. Do we surround ourselves with people that we want to aspire to? You know, there's that saying that, you know, you want to see if someone's successful, look at who he surrounds himself with, right? That's who he's going to be or she will be in the years to come. Uh, I've said this so many times on the podcast, Chase Experience, Not Money. And I, I can't reiterate that enough. I was at a college underpaid, but I took opportunities that I knew would catapult my career, right, wrong or indifferent, you know, things that would challenge me, Um I look back at my Mona Lucia days at Beth McGee, who's a designer. If she ever listens to this, will laugh because I was this young punk kid that didn't communicate well. You know, I didn't have Dave Clark by my side at the time. And, um, you know, she put up with me as this young, immature kid out of college. Um, but really taught me a lot, the value of interior design, uh, the value of communication, organization, and, and something that's taken, you know, been really important to where I am now. And I look back at that, that that experience. I wasn't paid great. And sometimes as a business owner, you know, it's a long game. I look at now, you know, those projects we did and we didn't, you know, I tell people it's not really a good career choice to pay people to build their homes. But in some cases that happens, right? As we're building projects and we don't fully understand the cost and we're young at business and that that's the value of, of networking. I look at the value of networking now, Rod Colum, who's uh, a, a very successful Colum Holmes here. And, you know, fortunately Rod, you know, he took me under his wings to some extent, not major, nothing major, just little things that he would converse with me and counsel me being a young builder. Again, someone that believed in me even as a competitor. And I remember seeing him at the Builder Show. And as we're walking through the Builder Show, he's telling me about the Builder 20. And he said, Brad, the biggest thing that had an impact on my career is joining Builder 20. You need to get him one right away. And I asked him what that was because at the time I'd never heard of it. And this was many years ago. And shortly thereafter, funnily enough, social media, again, being that consistency, posting every day, I'd started my, well, I don't know if I would started my podcast, but I think I was on the Modern Craftsman, one of their first, I think I was one of their first 10 that had started with Johnny and Tyler and Nick at the time. And uh, anyways, a builder, Galoni Builders, uh, had called me and said, hey, Brad, do you have interest in joining Build-A-20? I said, yeah, absolutely, because I learned all about it. And sure enough, was fortunate to be put in the Hammers group, which is you know one of the original groups and uh it, and it's been a game changer and then you know some some kudos to johnny horhan again you know being pretty young at aft and we weren't we definitely didn't have some of call it the the signature clients or notoriety or projects or some of the employees we had but but johnny was always like hey you know i remember him introducing me to matt Rice, and girl like hey this one of the best builders, and it was super kind of him to say that. And, and through that, you know, Matt, Mark La Liberté and built his home. And of course, Matt was super kind. And and it's just the value that you know, there's a lot of great people in the construction community, locally and nationally. And I don't take that lightly. The value of networking, and and for anyone listening, it's really important to network in your market, outside of your market, network in your industry, outside of your industry. Um, can't can't say enough the value of of getting out there and meeting people. And, and again, not just for selfish reasons, but um, you know, what's the value you bring them? What's the value proposition that we all bring? Uh, you know, what's the value proposition I can bring anyone I'm not working with in some way and and vice versa. And, and that definitely grows over time. Um, you know, working on your business, a lot of people have asked the key to retaining people, um, you know, company outings and, Events, you know, these, it's icing, but that's not good company culture. You know, something that's taken me a long time to realize is that I I had good people in the past, many, many years ago, and I'd bring them in, kick them off the pier, and hope they'd swim. And and of course, they'd sink because we weren't set up for training, for systems, for organization. You know, I just expect them to do it, and it's a lot easier said than done. And so, what I've realized, if you really want to have good company culture, you know, Disney has a motto that they, you know, hire slow, fire fast. Well, you know, that's part of it, but the integration is the most important. That employees need two things, right? They really need to understand what their role is, what their scope of work. You know, the more that, they're in, that there are inefficiencies in your company and your, um, your portfolio and your projects and your organization – the employees see that they feel it. it. It takes a toll on them. They get burnt out. They get tired. They get exhausted, working too many hours, not having help overlapping, not having clear definition of scope. Who does what? Where's the baton go? If they don't understand that their role, they, and and there's double work and th- they will leave. It's going to happen. Um, more importantly, if they're, if they're not held accountable in a positive way, if they don't understand what does my long-term growth look like? What are my opportunities at this company? What, and again, every company is different on size. Like we understand that. But at the core of it, whether you have one employer, 20 or hundred, do all of them understand what's going to make them successful? What's going to make you happy as a business owner by employing them? How are they performing on a day-to-day basis? How are they performing? And if they can understand their role and be accountable to it and be efficient, take pride in what they do. And the second part of that is. They need to believe in the company and the brand. If they believe in the company, if they believe in the leadership, if they believe in the direction, if they believe in you know the end result, the product they're making or building, um, that brand awareness and that belief in, in what they're doing. If they enjoy the product and they have clear definition of their scope, you're going to have incredible company culture. And then you know the outings and the group text and you know um, you know the lunches and. These, these things that we do and the bonuses, if you will, and the, the pay and health benefits and, you know, all these things add to it. But at the core, uh, I wish I knew sooner the value of systems. I really do. I really wish I understood not only from an employee perspective, but as I mentioned, you know, there's certain clients and network that we've, you know, didn't have the best relationship. And really it comes down to the checks and balances internally. And that's something we've worked on. And so the the common question what i wish i knew sooner started my company would be the value of numbers you know understanding numbers and the company and budgets and um you know overhead and you know how to be profitable and you know how to hire people and 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 understand how to build for their time and um and of course the system aspect being organized and having systems in place and 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 these are really important items that that have accelerated our growth for sure in the last three to four years, the, the good people we've had, and I will say the success story of that is although we've lost some good people and had our challenges, especially early on. And and one thing, maybe before I speak about successes, is one element to that is early on the podcast, I, I interviewed Jeremy Andres, who's the owner of Traeger, and, and he said something. He said, It doesn't matter uh, how talented or experienced employees, if they're toxic to the culture, to the rest of the employees in your fire doesn't matter. And it's a tough lesson. The next day I actually had to let go of one of my employees. It was really toxic to the company. And the reality is it doesn't matter how talented they are. And that goes back to the company culture that I look now. And by having the right people that believe in it, that, that understand their role, the camaraderie, uh, it's incredible. You know, the, the success story now is, you know, outside of terminating a couple of people for lack of performance, but people out of their own will leaving you know we've we've been fortunate to retain you know the 20 employees we've had for the last you know four years as we've grown they've come on and gotten better and you know we do we are very fortunate that we have a few employees from day one I think three of our employees were from day one and they're still here 11 years later you know Patrick Sue and Adam started with us from day one and here they are still here and a lot of our employees you know are four five six seven years um, and even the new ones and very fortunate that, as I mentioned early on, that they're getting better with every project, better with the systems. You know, they have great ideas. We, you know, the leadership council, which has been valuable, you know, as we sit down with our leadership team and go through strategies of the company and they um, give their advice and experience based on what they're doing with on day-to-day. And it just has made our company so much better. And that client experience, which is has been a big focus of ours, is so much better. Anyone building a home with us today, it's just it's going to be way better than it was years ago, and we're so grateful for that. And you know, for for the wonderful people around us. Um. You know, the lack of communication. Uh, I, I touched on this earlier, but I think it's too easy for us to come up with excuses. Most people, either one. You know, some of us can be anxious to have hard conversations, difficult conversations on timelines or budgets or issues or mistakes. Um, some of us may justify that we're busy. We don't have time to call people back or text them back or respond. You know, the lowest hanging fruit when we start a company is communication, site cleanliness. You know, these are pain points that have been a struggle for a long time. And why can't we do better communicating? Why can't we respond? And, and of course, there's, you know, there's a sales process aspect to that, to set expectations so that, you know, what here's our hours of operation communication with our employer, with our clients, so that they understand. And some of our clients, you know, are busy and their time to sit down and address concerns maybe late at night or maybe on the weekend, um, but setting those expectations so they can understand our work hours too and the health of our employees, because really, we we do want to control some of those external elements that do have an impact on company culture and employees, and make sure that they do have times to recharge their battery. Not everyone's like us as an entrepreneur working all the time, so we have to be mindful of those that aren't. Um, goals, something going back to goals of a company, and and there are two things. There's goals and objectives, and one thing I've asked our team is what's the difference between a goal and objective, and you know an objective would be uh i want to be healthier but you can't measure it so a goal something you can measure so okay your objective would be i want to be healthier okay so what are the goals to complete your objective well the goals would be you know i'm gonna eat so many calories a day i'm gonna work out you know an hour a day you know do cold plunge you know uh run lift weights essentially things you can track are goals uh so as a company as you know, every year we have objectives of the company of here's the objectives, like here's what we wanna be. Okay, you can sit here and say, well, I wanna be the best builder. Well, that's arbitrary, right? But essentially, maybe you wanna better your systems. Okay, well, that's could be your objective, but specifically, what does that mean? Are you gonna implement different software? You know, we use Builder Trend right now, we're working on the owner portal. How can we make that customer experience even better for them, access to information, save time for us, have all our documents, contracts, budgets, you know, for them at, you know, live 24-7 click. Um, I I bring this up because going back to um, my early 30s, I was training for a half marathon and I didn't know what to expect as my first half marathon. I I hadn't run a whole lot since high school. And I was running the La Jolla Half Marathon, which is in April. And it, La Jolla Half Marathon is pretty tough. It's 13 miles. And you start off by, at the Del Mar Fair. So anyone that's from Southern California, you start at the Del Mar Fair, pretty flat. But then you have to climb Torrey Pines. And mile six, you're going up these switchbacks, and they are absolutely killer. So about a mile up of these switchbacks as you climb Torrey Pines. And then you know, run down La Jolla into La Jolla shores, you run along the beach there, but then you have to cl- climb, you know, mile 12, 13, you're climbing to La Jolla Cove as you come into the finish. So needless to say my first marathon, which is my first time, I think I was 30 at the time I go run this half marathon and I was ill prepared. Um, like many of us run in a business, right? We're not prepared. We, uh, like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a game plan to get punched in the face. And, uh, got punched in the face. I hit Torrey Pines Hill. I didn't walk, but Oh, it destroyed me. And if I, I felt like I limped in the next six miles into the finish line. So the next year I said, okay, I have a goal. I want to break seven minutes a mile for 13 miles. despite you know, some major Hills, like it's a really tough half marathon, but this time went to San Diego and trained on that Hill a few times. There's some places in Los Angeles and up in, um, had to like swirl some Hills. So I went and train there. And, uh, you know, the second time that I did the half marathon, um, I did it. You know, I finished in an hour and twenty-six minutes, which was I believe my pace was a six thirty-six mile for the 13 miles. Uh, I think there were sixty five hundred runners. I placed twenty-fifth um out of the sixty-five hundred. So I was pretty excited. I didn't have a goal to finish top twenty-five. Um, but I knew I want to break seven minutes. And so part of that, when I go back to the goal setting. And the mental side of it was it wasn't just um ham and a break seven minutes but i did have the goal of what i needed to do to do that and i knew every mile where i had to be at that mile so that i could track my time so essentially my splits i was tracking my splits and i was training for that for four months so i trained about three and a half months before the marathon and then when i'd go run the course in la jolla and you know del mar I would train those splits because I knew, of course, you know, to average that mile on the downhills. Yeah. You, you know, I think on running down La Jolla, I was able to hit five minutes, but you're running downhill. So five minute mile downhill, it's not terrible, but going uphill, you are running nine minute mile, right? So you have to figure out, okay, nine minutes up, five down, essentially breaking those splits down. So I was really breaking that down over the course. And I only bring that up because I've taken the same analogy in the business that, with business, there's certain things you wanna do, and you really have to break it down at that minuscule level to not only prepare yourself for that and your team, but also break it down. Okay, well, here's how we're gonna get there. Here's how we're gonna get through this climb, this downhill, this uphill, and then lay out that vision for your team. And you know, by doing that and setting those goals and understanding the difference of goals and objectives, well, now you can be more calculated in setting realistic objectives, realistic measurable goals that so line up to that to make that happen. Uh, again, for me, it's never been an ego thing. Ideally, I hope that everyone I hire is better than me, that they're smarter than me, that they're more talented than me. Um, th- there's a lot of value to We have some incredible people on our team all over the board. The compliments we get from our team, and I'm not going to single them out because it's all of them, but they work so hard. They're so smart. They have so much talent. It's just amazing to sit now at a point of our brand 11 years later to sit when we have our production meetings and see the wisdom, the information, uh, the application, the technology, the training, the coordination that they're doing. And to see them teach each other and, and witness that is just incredible. But it doesn't happen if you as a manager are micromanaging and trying to control everything. It only happens as if they have the full autonomy, right? You hire good people, you empower them. Hire good people, empower them give them the tools, stay out of their way. And then of course, of course, take the advice you know to make the, um, the process better. Um, one of the questions as a couple here to finish, but who was your first hire in their position? Um, so our first hire was a superintendent and a coordinator. Uh, the reason being the coordinator, our coordinator, our project coordinator, the definition of their role They're writing all the contracts, they're doing all the purchasing, submittals, RFIs. Um, they're, They're really the core. You know, as you look at the schedule, they're ordering windows, they're getting cabinet samples signed off, shop drawings signed off for windows and cabinetry. You know, pavers, if it's a long lead time, custom tile coming from overseas, countertops. So that project coordinator position is really valuable because that allows our field to be real successful. And then the superintendent, of course, that allowed me to get out of the field. And that's that opportunity cost that, you know, I was out in the field running projects when we first started. I took every job we could get, like anyone would do in a powder bathroom, a patio. Uh, even though we had experience, it takes a while to build a brand. You know, that was pre-social media when we started. And, of course, social media has been a big part of it for the last while. But people have asked, okay, well, the first hire, yeah, you, whether you're outsourcing accounting, um, but essentially superintendent works so that you can now focus on the business is ideal. And you want to get to the point where you have no projects. Of course you can build them. And uh, for any of you that want to know how we do billing and cost plus come to our contractor coalition. Some, we walked through that, you know, pretty openly. Uh, but essentially people that want to build a company and how do you get your first lead? How do you get that first project? I always tell everyone that if you really want the opportunity to um, build a company and, build specifically a custom home building company, go build a spec home. Whether you have connections to fund you or you know some investors or former clients, but if you can go build a spec home, go design it right, get the right team, get it to market, get it sold, get your sign up. Well, a couple things are happening. One, you have throughout construction a home you're touring. So as clients are calling you, you now have ready product that you're touring them at frame stage, at rough stage, at finish stage, completion stage. So you got essentially a year there of free tours that you're taking people through to see the product that you have. You're getting your sign in the neighborhood, so clients looking to buy, there's your sign. You have marketing material, right, of the custom home. You have name, you've already built a house, now you built one. Now, next, you know, it's a flat lot maybe, now you go to a hillside and one in the HOA division you know, one of the, the nicer divisions so you can catapult that. So I always tell people, you know, it's really hard to be doing remodels or small jobs and then get someone to say, okay, Brad, I'm going to take a chance on you. Why don't you build your first house, which will be my personal house. It's always tough, you know, just like anything. They want to hire someone with experience. Well, where to get experience? Okay, well, go make your own experience. Go build a house. And so I always, you know, just as, as some advice, that's a great way to get your branding, build something that's different product wise, it's different to the market that has some value. Uh, This sets you apart that people see it. And um, all in all, you know, hopefully uh, I know some aspects was a little personal on this episode, but you know, it's been four years, four years. I've been doing this podcast uh, every week for four years. And um, you know, the time management, you know, I get asked a lot. Well, how do you manage your time? I mentioned I don't sleep a whole, a whole lot, and um, fortunately for those listening, the doctor said that's not stroke related. So, and and again, maybe different opinions, but out of you know, the a doctors, they're like, no, it's um, you know, everyone has 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 different sleep schedules, but um, uh, I think more importantly for me is is being efficient with my time. You know, I'm obsessed with my calendar and where I'm at and where I'm at you know, throughout the day and what office and who I'm meeting with. And so the calendar plays a huge role, uh, efficiencies, um, you know, seven habits, a highly effective people understanding those boxes, the quadrants, you know, what's important, you know, I really know it every day, uh, you know, before I start the week, I know that we can advance my calendar, where I'm going to be, what time, what's going on, um, what part of town and, uh, you know, information and in, information out that process of information, uh, you know, delegating to really good people, uh, making sure you have time for exercise and your health is really important. You know, I lived that firsthand, but you know, eating healthy diet, exercise, make that a priority. Uh, if, if, if you meditate or you read, uh, other amazing things, you know, outlets, make sure you have time for your family, you know, working around that as well. Life's too short. So I can't thank you enough, thank all of you enough for the journey, for listening to me for this last hour and 20 minutes. um, but, again, just, just a few things of, uh, I wanted to share of, you know, my dad that had a big impact on me uh, really set the tone. You know, I look at when I went to college after my mission, and and I remember being pretty discouraged at first. Just It's pretty eye-opening when you leave high school, you go out of the country, you come back, you go to college. So a couple years later, you know, I hadn't really been in the school system, if you will, university system, and now you're getting thrust in with a lot of college kids that are really bright, you know, college kids that are um top of their class and you feel pretty um again, insecure that, hey, am I capable? Could I succeed? And again, just drawing back that hey, I learned Spanish. If I can read, write and speak fluent Spanish <laughs> what the challenges are giving me, then I can get through college and then if I could get through divorce and I can get through entrepreneurship, and as I get through this job, I can get through next. And so, you know, life's a lot about stepping stones, and 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 that positive mindset is a, is a huge part of that. There's there's something to be said about that, that quiet confidence. And you know, that's why I really admire. It's funny, as a kid, I think this is a lesson I really wish I understood more. Is I, I'm sure most of us can relate that as as children. I remember there'd be kids like all oh, that kids the smartest in the class, all oh, that kids the most athletic. And so you just feel, especially as a young adolescent, that some people just were born different. You know, they just have a different opportunity. And it wasn't until this stage of my life that I realized, yeah, there's definitely inherent talents and attributes that some people have. But I'm a big sports fan, and you look at sports and you look at, um, you know, michael jordan or tom brady you know yes michael jordan had a growth spur and he's 6'6 which is pretty rare right to have the athleticism he did but that mindset that relentless you know working out he's going to come after you that competitiveness it's that's something you can't teach you have it or you don't tom brady you know everyone knows his story what draft 299 you know last in the draft and um First one there, last one to leave, put in the work, uh, would read defenses, uh, study, and work hard, and had a great arm, not the best arm. And you just see that in life, what I've realized with business, sports, life, that yes, some people have circumstances that they're born into or head starts, but at the end of the day, there's hard work, there's determination that comes down to you. And if you're willing to put in the work and do those hard things and go above and beyond and find ways to challenge you, um, you know, find ways to push yourself to the limit, to see what you can do, see what your business can do, that's only how you're going to figure it out. So those are my closing words. Again, thankful for you all. It's been a fun four years. I look forward to the next four and can't thank all my guests enough. Can't thank my family enough for the support. And you guys are awesome. So thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you get value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics, We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So Again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.